Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. And so today on the show, we have another special guest. His name is Terry Tucker, and he is an author and speaker. Well, thank you for coming to the show, Terry. Thanks, come on, eh? I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, same here. I'm looking forward to talking to you as well. I know that you have a lot to offer to the audience. And so for those that aren't familiar with your work, could you tell them a little bit about what you do a little bit more in detail? Sure. I'll, I'll try to keep this to the Reader's Digest version, so to speak. Right. So I was born and raised in Chicago. Uh, I'm the oldest of three boys. And you can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall and played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I kind of look back and, and think what a knucklehead I was back then to think I knew really anything about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International in their marketing department. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In terms of my professional career, as I said, I was in marketing with Wendy's. I was also a hospital administrator. I was a customer service manager for an academic publishing company. I was a police officer. And while I was a police officer, I did undercover narcotic work. And I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Then I started my own school security consulting business. I coached girls high school basketball in Texas. I was a motivational speaker. Last year, I became an author but for the last nine years, I've pretty much been a cancer warrior fighting this very rare form of melanoma. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for almost 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a lieutenant in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Wow. And so just from what you've told me, it seems like you've lived a full life and had plenty of experiences. And so I'm sure that the learning curve moving from job to job was probably pretty difficult to overcome, but obviously you made it work for you. I did. If you, if you look at the, the first two jobs I had, they, they were definitely business oriented. And I, I guess sort of give you a little background. I, my, my passion, or at least what I felt my, I was supposed to do was to be in law enforcement. But my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression in the 30s and when the gangsters were shooting up the city, Al Capone and things like that. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun, taking a murder suspect back to the lockup. And my dad remembered the stories that my grandmother told of the knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, please grab your son, come with us. Your husband's been shot. And he wanted absolutely nothing for me to do with law enforcement. So my my dad had my whole life planned out. You know, you're going to go to college, you're going to major in business, you're going to get out, you're going to get a job in business, get married, have 2.4 kids and live in the suburbs. And <laughs> I, that's sort of a joke, but that's the way it was. But as I said, when my dad, um, when I graduated from college, my dad was dying of cancer. So I, I did what my dad wanted me to do. I went into business, but it was not my passion. And I kind of joked that I did what every good son did. I just waited till my father passed away. And then I followed my dreams. So that's kind of how I got into law enforcement. 
Oh, okay. So it all kind of adds up now. And then on top of that, with all the changes that are going on in your life, then of course you had the health issues too. And so, could you kind of dive into that and talk about some of the difficulties, the difficulties that came with that? So yeah, uh, 2012, I was a, a girls high school basketball coach down in Texas and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And I didn't think a lot of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a couple of weeks when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he cut it out and he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that would give anybody pause or concern. But he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend. And the more difficulty he was having describing what was going on, obviously, the more frightened I was becoming until he just kind of laid it out. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma. And most people think of melanoma as a, some type of a skin disease, too much exposure to sun or something like that. But there's a, there's, and that, that's the majority of melanoma. After that, there's a, a, a version that I have that's very rare that appears either on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. And actually there's even a rarer form that appears in your mucous membrane. So your nose, or your mouth or something like that. He said, I recommend you go to MD Anderson in Houston and be treated. And so I did. And I, I went to MD Anderson, had the uh, wound excised on the bottom of my foot, had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon. Now, interferon for me was just a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug that gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that was just to keep the disease from coming back. That was not a cure for me. When the drug was stopped in 2017, the disease did come back. 2018, I had my left foot amputated because of the cancer. Came back again in 2019 in my shin, two more surgeries. And then last year, 2020, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it actually fractured my tibia, my shin bone, and further testing found that my entire lower leg was full of cancer and I had tumors in my lungs. So right in the middle of the pandemic last year, I had my left leg amputated above the knee. So I'm in a clinical trial now to help with the, the tumors in my lungs, but in all honesty, I am probably heading towards the end of my life. My doctor's not talking about a cure. He's just talking about buying me some more time. Oh my God. That's, you know, I can only imagine how tough that must be, you know, for you and your family and to have to come to that realization. But something that I deeply respect is the mindset that it seems that you've taken despite all these challenges that you faced in your life and how you've kind of turned it around and made it to where you're trying to offer something positive from these uh, experiences that you've had through writing your book, through the, the speaking events that you do. And so could you kind of talk about uh, what the process was for you to develop that mindset? Sure. I, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of what was good about being in organized or team sports, team athletics was the realization that 
you're part of something that's bigger than you. And if you don't hold up your end, if you don't do what, what you're asked to do, not only are you letting yourself down, you're letting your teammates down, you're letting your coaches down, you're letting your fans down, you're letting your parents down, your friends. So I, I learned, and, and, and as I said, I'm on this clinical trial drug, and, and I would be lying to you if I said that, you know, this was, you know, I'm in this for me. I, I am in this for me. I, I totally want this to work. And I pray every night for that miracle that it will work and take these tumors away. But I also realize that this is bigger than me, that the doctors may be able to glean information from all the blood tests that I get and from all the scans that I do, that maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, they'll be able to synthesize a drug that will be able to save somebody else's life or prolong somebody else's life even more. So that's part of being bigger than yourself. And I think today, a lot of people are all about, you know, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what's in it for me? You know, what do I get out of it? And, and it's not about you. It's about us. And if we look at it that way, that if I hold up my end of the bargain and you hold up your end, imagine what we could get accomplished instead of thinking, you know what, it's only about me. I'm only going to do what, what is good for me and the heck with everybody else. So I quickly realized that this was much bigger than myself. And, and, and the thing, I had a, a nurse recently who, when I first met her, she was taking care of me. She was just training in the unit. She was already a nurse, but was training in the unit. A couple months ago, she came to me, she said, Terry, I want to tell you a story, but I'm really nervous about telling you this story. I said, well, just, just, just say it. She said, well, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. She said, I'd had a friend die. I was in a very dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing. I was going to work for Amazon. And then I met you and I heard your story and I see what you go through every day at this hospital. You throw up, you shake, you have fever, you go through all this crap. And she's like, and I knew I was in the right place. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had an impact on her like that. Imagine who's watching you, who's watching me, who's watching Kamani, who's like, you know what? I want to be like him. I want to be like Terry. I want to be like whoever. You have no idea who these people are. There was a basketball coach back in the 70s, coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden, who had a, a great saying, and it was, it was this, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. So that's another reason that I always kind of keep in the back of my mind. I have no idea who's watching me battle this disease and is taking their inspiration, their motivation, their courage from watching me. So I don't want to let that person down on top of not wanting to let all the people down that I may never know when the doctors finally synthesize this drug that can help somebody down the road. Uh, so it seems like it got to a point to where the focus went from just what your interest was to the legacy that you're leaving behind. And from there, all the stuff that you're going through became a lot more purposeful. Am I understanding that correctly? You're absolutely understanding it correct. I, and and what, I've, what I've kind of developed over these last nine years are what I call my four truths. And, and these are my truths. They may not work for you, but if, if one of them or all of them do, feel free to use them. And, and I'll give them to you. They're, they're just four sentences. I, 
I have them on a post-it note right here that I see on my desk every day. And, and I guess that's another thing I would recommend to, to your audience. If there's something, you know, you know, I want to be a lawyer or, or you know, I want to play in the NBA, whatever it is, write it down. Don't type it out, write it down and put it somewhere where you see it all the time on your bathroom mirror, on your desk, in your car, wherever, where you see it and you're constantly reminded of it. So let me give you these four truths real quick. The first one is you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is kind of what you just talked about, the, the legacy. What, what are you leaving behind? What would your ancestors say about the life that you have lived? What are people going to talk about you at your funeral? And the third one is this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And so I use these four truths to make decisions about, am I going to do this therapy? Am I going to be involved in this project and things like that? Those are the things that, that, that really kind of drive me and the things that I've learned over these last nine years. If you don't mind, could we go back to the first one and go through each and kind of get an explanation of how you crafted that truth and how that's uh, been implemented in your life? Sure, sure. So the first one, control your mind or it will control you. So our brains, we know this, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo is good. It's like, don't mess with it. Things are, are fine the way we are. But the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to get better is if you step outside that status quo. So let me, let me give you an example. I'm 15, 16 years old. I have my first knee surgery. And I had three knee surgeries in high school, two of which were before arthroscopic surgery. So I have a large zipper scar on the outside of my knee. And when I went back playing, my brain started putting these kind of thoughts in my head you know, Terry, you're probably a step slower after all those surgeries. And, you know, coaches aren't going to want to recruit you because you've had these surgeries. So you're probably not that good anymore. And I'm like, you know, first of all, you have to recognize that those thoughts are coming in your brain. There's been studies done that say we have 60 or 70,000 thoughts every day. You have to realize what the garbage is that's in there and realize, okay, that's a bad thought. That's a negative thought. Your mind can only hold one thought at a time. Why would you make it a negative one? So just flip that. And I did. I was like, wait a minute. I'm still playing at an elite level. I played against Isaiah Thomas in high school. I played against Michael Jordan in college. I'm still playing at an elite level. And coaches are still contacting me. It was done a little bit differently back then. It was, you know, mail and telephone as opposed to email and text and things like that today. But they were still contacting me. So, so that's kind of number one. You need to flip that switch or your mind is going to control you. I mean, come on, if you got up this morning and said, mm, I'm going to go skydiving, your brain would immediately kick in and be like, whoa, come on, wait a minute. You know, the plane might crash or your parachute may not open or whatever it is. But if you know that's what you want to do, you need to just flip that. No, wait a minute. The plane's safe and the parachute's been packed by somebody who's got 20 years of experience. I am not at all worried about doing this. But that's your brain. That's that self-preservation mode in your brain. So that's number one. Number two is embrace the pain and the discomfort that we all experience in life. 
And this doesn't have to be like mine, like cancer. I mean, it could be you flunk a test at school or you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or you know, you don't get the promotion at work that you think that you deserve. We're all going to experience pain in life. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you lay down there in the muck and the gunk and the garbage and feel sorry for yourself and want people to feel sorry for you? Or do you use that pain to make you stronger, to make you tougher, to make you more determined? So what I would say is instead of running from pain, just do the opposite. Flip it inside. Say, no, okay, I got this. I'll take this pain. It'll make me stronger. It'll make me tougher. It'll make me more determined. I'll burn it as fuel. I'll use it, use it as energy to make me a stronger human being. So that's number two. If, number actually, three, if we, could, if we could stop right here because I just wanted absolutely. to kind of add to some of the things that you were saying. So touch on the first one when you talked about how your thoughts and everything could affect you. One thing I would also add to is I feel like those negative thoughts also lead to you having negative performance. I'm sure as an athlete, you might have experienced that too, where whenever you had those self-doubts, how you might not play as confidently whenever you're going out there playing against people like Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, right? So that's definitely something that I wanted to kind of touch on too, because I'm sure due to the fact you competed at a high level in high school and in college, you could definitely see how uh, that played out. Yeah, I'll follow up with that with a quick story. 1976, there's a U.S. gold medal Olympic swimmer by the name of Shirley Babishaw. And she had one of the greatest quotes that I ever heard. She said, winners think about what they want to happen. Losers think about what they don't want to happen. And that, that perfectly, I think, dovetails into to your comment. You know, if you're thinking positive thoughts that you can be successful, you will be. Just like if you're thinking negative thoughts, you, you, you know, you won't be successful. I mean, I've had people come up to me and be like, oh, geez, Terry, you know, I could never do what, what, what you've done. You're right. You couldn't because you've already decided in your mind that you couldn't do that. Why would you go into something immediately telling yourself, I can't do it? Whatever it is. You know, I got this big test today. I'm really going to I'm going to bomb it. Why would you even if you are going to bomb it? Why would you tell yourself that? Why wouldn't you say, you know what? I'm prepared. I'm going to I'm going to do the best I can on this test and we'll see what happens. So you're right. It's what you put in your brain is what you get out on the other side. So it's kind of like a the law of attraction, I guess you can say. I don't know if you believe in that or not, but it sounds kind of similar to it, where whatever you're putting out there in space with your thoughts, that'll tend to be what you get. I, th I think that's absolutely true. I mean, at least that's what I've experienced in life, and especially in athletics. If you go into it, I don't know if I can do this. You can't. You, you might as well just go home. It, it, it's over. You've already defeated yourself. Why not? I mean, you you look at again. I'll, you know, you trying to remember, I think it was Northern Iowa several years ago was playing Kansas. You know, Kansas was the number one seed in the national basketball uh, tournament. And here's this little Northern Iowa, you know, like a 15 or a 14 seed who actually went in there and beat Kansas. Now, do you think their players were like, oh, it's Kansas, we don't stand a chance. Or do you think they were like, we can do this. We can come together as a team and we can beat this number one team. And they did. And I, it's, a, it's a great kind of David and Goliath story if you think about it, you know, Kansas is kind of the, you know, one of the blue bloods. And then here's Northern Iowa. Northern, who, who the heck has heard of Northern Iowa? Well, guess what? They beat a number one seed. Yeah, kind of like I think they had a similar story this past one, too. I think it was Oral Roberts. Am I yeah. correct? Yeah, I kind of had a similar thing. So, yeah, I think you're right where 
they probably went there with that killer mindset of we're going to go get this done. And they did it. And then on the second truth that you mentioned about uh, using that pain or that struggle as like a motivator, I can definitely relate to that because, you know, at least like in the short term, whenever you need that spark to get some stuff done or make it happen, that's when using that method has definitely worked for me. Like, I feel like uh, what's worked best for me long term is having like a, a positive overarching purpose, but those negative things along the way were kind of like little fires that helped me to keep going during those times when I may have been feeling lazy or didn't want to go and do what I was supposed to do. So that definitely resonated with me what you talked about for that second truth. Yeah. I, and, and I guess I don't want your audience to think that, that I have all the answers. I, I, I don't, I, I'm human. You know, are, are there days when I, when I cry, when I get down, when I feel sorry for myself? Absolutely. There, there are, I have those days. I, I'm, as I said, I, I'm a human being. I, I'm not a robot. I'm not Superman. You know, there's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape. So it's okay. It's okay to have those days. It's just not okay to stay there. It's, it's, you know, you have to, okay. I mean, the last time I had treatment a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I'm sitting there on a Wednesday in a dark room, throwing up, shaking, crying like a baby. And all nurse did was come in and put her arm around me. And that was all I needed. It's just somebody to like, okay, all right, we're back. You know, here we go. We're going to attack this again. So don't think that, you know, you, you couldn't do this. You know, I couldn't. Have, yes, you're going to have bad days. Everybody has a breaking point. Everybody has a point where they're, they're just depleted mentally, physically, emotionally. That's okay. Regroup, get, you know, take some time, but then get back in the fight. Don't think that, oh, well, I'm done. You're never done. There was a, there was a story in the 1950s. There was a professor from, he actually went to Harvard, but the study was done at Johns Hopkins where he took rats and he put rats in a tank of water and he wanted to see how long they could tread water before they sank. And so he, he did that. It was about 15 minutes. And right before they sank, he, he grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for a while. And then he put them back in the tank. What do you think? How many, how long do you think those rats the second time were able to tread water? You, you, you want to take a guess? I think we actually talked about this story, but I I think the kicker was that they swam long enough until he came back to save them again because they knew that he was going to come and rescue them. Right. It was something to that effect. It was about hope. They, They swam for 60 hours because it was about hope. They knew somebody was going to rescue them. So whenever you think your body can't do you know, I, I can't do it, whatever it is. I mean, the, the Navy SEALs talk about their 40% rule, where if you think you're done, you can't run another step or do another push-up or whatever, you're only at 40% of your maximum. You still have another 60% left in reserve. So whenever, you know, you go on a run, it's like, I'm going to run five miles. Oh, I'm exhausted. I can only run three. Nah, you, you could probably run 20 if you needed to, but right. your mind, your body are telling you. So realize that you can do so much more than you ever thought you could do. The limits that we put, that we face in life are the limits that we put on ourselves. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you breaking it down like that. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to make sure that I touched on those things before I forgot, because if we got to the end, I probably would have lost it. But (laughs) but yeah, now we're going into the third one next. So the third one, I mean, we, we sort of talked a little bit about the, the legacy and, and that and that. The third one is one that I've kind of added fairly recently, because when I, when I found out that I was um, going to have my leg amputated and, and I had the tumors in my lungs, 
actually went to with my wife to to the mortuary, to the cemetery, to the to the church, and planned my funeral. And I got some some brushback from a lot of people for that. It's like you know, don't you think that's kind of defeatist? And I kind of looked at him like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. I mean, I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. But, you know, so I I thought, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And for me, death is not that scary because I found my purpose in life and I lived it. And I'm going to make a huge generalization right now. But I've seen a lot of people die, both as a police officer and the number of years that I've had cancer. And the generalization is that the people that I see who kind of go what you and I would call happy deaths or peaceful deaths seem to be the people who found their purpose in life and lived it. And on the other side, the people who I want another day, I want another month, I want another year, they go kicking and screaming those seem, again, huge generalization, seem to be the people that never did anything with their life. They never got outside their comfort zone. They never did anything that they were passionate about. And I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart that you want to do, something in your soul that you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do in life, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things that you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do. And by then, it's going to be too late to do them. You know, the thing about that is that I actually share similar sentiments about that, where I feel like the people who are able to face death and are kind of content with it are the ones that found that purpose or found that, uh, that way to live authentic to themselves, you could say. And so based on the number of people that you've seen on both ends, which one would you say is the majority? Of course, I have my idea of what it is, but what would you say? I'd say the majority of the people go kicking and screaming. Right. You know, the, like the if, you had to, were, if you had to guess a percentage, what would you say it is? I'd say it's high. I'd say it's probably around 70% of people. Yeah, I, w- I would say probably same thing, 70 or plus. Yeah. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there are very few people that I've seen, you know, that actually found their purpose in life. They actually keep, kept searching for that purpose. There, there's a, a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that I just love. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. I want to live my life so that in the end, it's like, yeah, this was a great however many years it was. And now it's time to move on to whatever's next. And so what do you think was the block that stopped people from living an authentic life and getting to that point to where when they were on their deathbed, they had all those regrets? What do you think stopped them from pursuing the authentic life and finding a real purpose for their life? I actually devoted a chapter, I I titled a chapter in my book to the reason I I think people stop themselves. And and I've done it, and you've probably done it. I think most people at some point in their life have done this. And it's it's just this. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. You know, you want to do something. Okay, I wanted to, oh, wait a minute, that kind of scares me. Or what if I fail? What, what are people going to laugh at me? Is this going to be embarrassing and stuff? Like that? So people are like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to 
I'm just going to sit back here. And, and then all of a sudden, they're on their deathbed. And it's like, well, wait, I, I never did anything. I, I, I had this purpose in life. I never sought it out. And then once I found it, I never lived it. And, and I think that's those are the people, in my opinion, and there's a ton of them out there that, that just don't find their passion. And again, I don't, I don't want your audience to think that your purpose or your, or, your, or your why in life has to be your job. I don't think it does. I mean, it, it very well could be your job is what you do to pay the bills, but your passion or your purpose or your why is, you know, you write or you volunteer or you play an instrument, whatever that ends up being. It doesn't have to be your job. For me, I think it was, but for a lot of people, it wasn't. And I, I remember the, the story of Colonel Sanders, the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, founder. I, I think back on his life, he didn't start Kentucky Fried Chicken until he was in his 60s, till after he retired. Now, I don't know if that was his, his purpose in life. I'm going to assume that it was. But can you imagine if like he was in his 40s? He's like, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm done. I'm just going to I'm going to coast for the rest of my life he would have never started that franchise. So don't think that, you know, if you're in your, your teens or your 20s, and you know, I haven't figured it out yet, that, you know, you're never going to, no, think about the long game and, and play the long game. Maybe your purpose won't be revealed to you until you're much older in life. Don't stop trying to find that purpose. And to add to this, something that a past guest had brought up was this um this parallel between being a regular person and being like Clark Kent and Superman, where he said that, you know, at least in, in his experience, his passion and his purpose wasn't something he could make his full-time thing. And so he kind of had to take on that Clark Kent type of idea where during the day he does his regular job, but you know, all other times of the day and on the weekends, he got to be Superman doing his his purpose. And so when he first said it, uh, I remember I kind of brushed it off because I was, the way I was thinking at the time was that wherever your purpose is, it has to be the main thing that you do. It has to be your job. But as like I've gotten a little bit more experience and talked to more people, done the interviews and kind of gotten a reality check on a lot of things, I see that the path isn't always the same for everybody that pursues their purpose. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's that's full time. You know, of course, that would be great if eventually I could do podcasting, life coaching, financial coaching, all that type of stuff full time. But in the meantime, I'm doing the Clark Kent thing, just like how he was talking about. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that cape and that S on your chest. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. And so now we just had one more. It was the fourth one. Yeah. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And there, there's an old Winston Churchill quote, who was the prime minister of England during World War II, who said, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going. And I look at the pain that I've experienced in my life. And someday that pain is going to end. May end through surgery, may end through medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to that pain, I will always have pain that follows me the rest of my life. So that's where I just know I need to keep going with the understanding that we all have a breaking point. We all have a point where we just can't go on any further. But the breaking point that you think of what or the point of what you think is your breaking point isn't nearly 
what it what it is when we just talked about you know the the story about the rats and the and the forty percent rule. You have so much more left to give to yourself when you think I'm done. I can't go on another step. When you ever get to that point, just tie a knot in that end of that rope and hang on. And I promise you, you'll be able to do a whole lot more. One interesting thing about that is that the people that come to that realization, I've noticed or the ones that were kind of forced to, like, I know you and your situation, you had no choice but to come to that realization. Uh, you talked about Navy SEALs. I read David Goggins' book, and he kind of talked about it in a similar way to where uh, he got to what he thought was his limit, you could say, and then got pushed beyond it from the, the ultra running that he was doing and the Navy SEAL stuff doing buds. And so it's something that I would like to experience, and I'm sure a lot of other people that are listening as well you know, would like to get to that point to where you get to what you think is your breaking point, And then you finally get to unlock your full potential and see what you're really made of. Because I feel like it would kind of change your perspective on what your opportunities are. You're right. I have a, I have a friend who was a Navy SEAL and, and we've talked about how during buds, there's a, there's a bell in the middle of, of the courtyard. And, and all you need to do is to, you know, to not do those cold ocean swims or, or get all wet and sandy or get up at 5 a.m. to do calisthenics is to ring that bell. It's all you've got to do. Ring the bell and you're done. You'll get a hot meal, a hot shower. Everything will be great. But we talk about how if you want to change the world, if you want to make a difference in somebody else's life, don't ever, ever ring that bell. Okay, and that's, that's a good way to live life, you could say. And so now that we touched on your four truths, I think it'd be great if we also kind of hop into uh, your book and what it's about. And so if I'm correct, it's called Sustainable Excellence, right? Correct. And Sustainable so could, Excellence, the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. Yeah. So let's dive into that. What was the uh, inspiration for it? And could you kind of give like a, a quick render of what the book talks about and what the 10 principles are? Sure. So the, the book is really was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player of mine who moved to Colorado, where my wife and I live with, with her fiance, and we had had dinner with them. And I remember saying to her one night, I said, I'm really excited that you're living close to me and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she kind of looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about, trying to find that purpose. And then once you find it, live it. So that was one conversation. And then I had a, a young man in college who reached out to me and he said, you know, what do I need to know to not only be successful in whatever job or business I have when I get out of school, but, but in life? And I didn't want to give him the get up early, work hard, help others. Not, not that those aren't important. They are incredibly important but I kind of felt they had been done. And so I wanted to give him something in all honesty that I thought would hopefully would resonate in his soul, so to speak. So I, I thought about it for a while, wrote some notes, and eventually I came up with these 10, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles, and I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. And so Literally, I had my leg amputated in April of 2020, had the chemotherapy started in June of 2020. And during that three-month period that I was healing, I just sat down at the computer and I started to build stories underneath each of the principles. 
And it, it's kind of funny because I, there are there are principles when people read the principles that they one of them always kind of jumps out. It's like this, you know, this is the one that resonates with me. And and the one that resonated with me mostly was the one that I gave you about uh, most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. That that's one of the principles. I, I talk about the importance of listening in the book. And like, well, listen, yeah, of course. It's like, no, it's not listening to respond like so many of us do. It's listening to understand. And when I was a hostage negotiator in the police department, that's one thing that I learned is that, you know, as a policeman, 99% of what you do is face-to-face with another person, whether it's a, a traffic stop or you get called to, you know, somebody's house for a run or, or whatever it is. So you have visual clues of what's going on. You know, people are bowling up their fists. Maybe they want to fight you. Or if they're looking around, maybe they're going to run. And you can do things about, you know, you can sit them down, you can handcuff them, you can put them in your car, whatever is appropriate for the reason that you're there. But as a negotiator, the person we were dealing with wasn't with us. They could be blocks away or we're negotiating through a, a locked door or something like that. So you had to figure out real quickly what was going on based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. And that's why I thought listening is so important. I, I mean, there are times where, you know, you're talking with somebody and, and you've been talking for two hours and you're talking over here. Well, the real problem is over here. And you haven't even gotten to that problem yet. But they need to burn off this emotional energy here before you can get to that part. So you've got to be real good at listening to understand as opposed to listening to, all right, hurry up and say something because I want to get my two cents in. I mean, obviously you figured out I love to talk, but I also am, it's important to me to listen and to listen to understand. That was, that was another chapter. One of the other chapters is about failing and failing often, especially when you're young, because when you fail, only two things are going to happen. You're either going to, or, or when you try something, only two things are going to happen. You're either going to win, you're going to be successful at it, or you're going to learn something. And people are like, well, no, you either win or you lose. It's like, no, you don't lose unless you don't learn. If you don't learn from whatever, whatever you did, then yes, you fail. But if you learn, you know, if you start a business, you get out of school, I want to start a business. You start a business, the business fails. Okay, did you learn something? Yeah, I learned something. Well, can you apply what you learned to starting another business over here? But so many people can't do that. Oh, I failed. Well, I'm a failure. You're, you're not a failure. It's not about the scoreboard. I, you know, I always used to tell my players, you know, if you give me 100% and we lose, I'm okay with that. But if you give me 80% and we win, I'm not okay with that. That's not been a successful day. So that's... I guess to answer your question, kind of the, the book, where it came from, you know, and I remember when I first released the book, I was all about, I got to sell books, I got to sell books, I got to sell books. And I had a, a best-selling author, business author over in the United Kingdom who said to me, kind of pulled me aside that I connected with on LinkedIn. He said, Terry, you're missing the point. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, your books will sell themselves. And I was so glad he, he, you know, literally kind of slapped me in the face with that because I, I needed to hear that. I didn't write the book to get famous, to make money, to get more speaking engagements. I wrote the book to help people, to make a difference. 
And he kind of put that in perspective for me. And I'm really glad he did. I like that. How it kind of got shifted to where the focus wasn't, I guess, the validation that you got from people uh, from, you know, the number of sales or something like that. But it kind of switched to the value that you saw and how you were helping people and how the content you were putting out there was making a change in people's lives. That was more so where the focus was instead of like the numbers or something. And I think that's a good thing. And that's something that that's an answer that I tried to take on doing the, the podcast and everything too. And I'll say that since I feel like it is something that aligns with what I think my purpose is or what I'm passionate about, uh, I think it's definitely been easier for me to be able to enjoy the fruits now, even though it's not a big podcast or anything yet, but just seeing the few reviews I've gotten so far and the feedback that I've gotten from guests, that's definitely been more valuable to me than I ever uh, thought it would have been just from the seven months that I've been doing this. And to kind of backtrack on something that you said before, when you talk about uh, just being able to listen, that's definitely one of the main challenges I'd say that I've had while I've been going through this process of being a podcaster and everything. Because when you're, when you hit the record button, when you're uh, on the clock, I guess you could say, and when the person's talking, you're kind of having all these thoughts going through your head, like, oh, I need to make sure that whatever I say is like something good to follow up. People are going to listen to this. I need my content to be great and all that. And so that's definitely been a, a hurdle that I've run into to where it's kind of been a challenge for me to be able to just sit and just listen fully because I just know that I'd be embarrassed if I got to the point to where it got to the end of whatever the guest is saying and I don't really have a response, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. But oh, it uh, does. And, and I've been on that where people will write notes, you know, because sometimes as you have come across with me on this podcast, I can go on for a while. And, you know, if I start to say something and you have a thought, well, you know, maybe five minutes later I finish and, oh, I forgot what I was going to, you know, so people will actually, you know, they'll start writing notes and stuff like that, which I don't know what that says about me as a, hot, a podcast guest. But I means you're probably saying some pretty good stuff if it's, if it's noteworthy, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the other thing you said about failure too, I feel like that change of mindset that you're talking about is probably one of the biggest things that leads to people either um, reaching a high level of success in whatever avenue they take in life or not. And it's framing it from losing to learning. Because uh, one thing that I'll say going through this process, there have definitely been plenty of, I guess, quote unquote losses that I've taken while doing this whole podcasting thing where, you know, an interview might not go well in this aspect, you know, or the audio might have been bad, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, if I had taken it as a loss where I'm saying, oh, you know, this isn't something I should do, I don't have it 100% at the beginning, then I would have never gotten to you know, all these episodes that I've done so far. And so taking all these different losses, you could say as learning lessons has helped me to be able to make the content consistently better over time. And I feel like if more people took that mindset and whatever it is they do, whether it's basketball or anything else, then eventually some of those losses don't really even become factors anymore. Yeah, you're right. I, when you said that, it was reminded me of a story. I was talking to my publisher and we were talking about, I said, you know, I listen to every podcast that I'm on and I, I listen to, you know, how many times did I say, um, or whatever. I, I, I want to be really good. I, and not just for me, but for the host as well. I, I want to make sure that he or she puts out a good product, that, that the podcast with me was good. 
And he said, no, Terry he said, you know, today it's not about that. It's about just not sucking. And I'm like, no, that's not what it's about for me. You know, for a lot of people, it is just don't suck. I thought, well, that'd be a great title for the next book. But, you know, that's not what I want. I don't want to just not suck. I want to be excellent. I, I want to be great at, at what I do. And the only way to do that is to be a student. And, and, to, and I think the only way to be good at life is to be a student of life. You know, I talked about team sports earlier. If you think about it, the greatest team sport that we all play is this game we call life, you know, and, and, and how we, we interact with that. So I told him, I said, I, I don't want to just not suck. I want to be excellent for me and for the host. And so we kind of we kind of got a big chuckle, you know, out of that. And and the, and so many people are willing to accept, uh, yeah, yeah, it was okay. And and my wife will ask me something, you know, how was the podcast? I'm like, mm, you know, I, I think I could have done better, or I, I said um too many times, or whatever. But that's that's a way I learn, and and that's the way I get better. And same with you, you know, you're you're learning this art. And podcasting for you is an art. You know, you're you're an artist and you're trying, you want to paint the best picture you possibly can visually with your audience. And you know, they they can't see you, but they can hear you. What you want to paint that picture in your head, in their head, and that's what you're doing. And that's gonna take time. Just like any any other skill, it's gonna take you time. Yeah, true. You know, the process for me has been pretty similar to what you're talking about that you do, where I listen back to every one of the episodes and I kind of see some of the stuff that I didn't like about my presentation or anything else. And that's really been uh, the biggest way that I've kind of learned what I need to do to improve moving forward. But one thing that you mentioned that I did like is how you brought that team analogy for life, because something that I think affects guys more than women, at least from what I've noticed in myself and other guys I've been around is that it's, it kind of seems as though we approach life in this way to where we have to be a lone ranger but I feel like we would not only offer so much more value, but gain so much more value if we took that team perspective to where we look to other people and say, how can I offer value to them? And our people look that same way. And that way it lifts everybody up. That's all around, like within your group, as opposed to you trying to be that, that lone person, just you know, doing it all on your own. What is, what is the saying? Uh, go alone and you move fast, but go in a, in a group and you'll go far. I think it, the proverb goes something like that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's so true. Yeah, I, I mean, we are, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're one of the only creatures on the face of, the earth, of this earth that needs each other, you know, that, that, that doesn't, you know, we're, we're not a lion. I mean, I know lions are in prides and things like that, but, you know, lions can go off and do their own thing and, and, and it's not a problem. I, I can't be successful. I've never been successful as an individual, I don't care who, who you are. I, I mean, even if you're playing, you know, tennis or golf or whatever, or, you know, an individual sport, you know, there's a coach, there's a caddy, there, there's always somebody, a group, there's people supporting you, loving you, caring about you and wanting the best for you. And if you bring all those, that's your team, you know, your posse, whatever you want to call them, those are the people that are important in your life. And it, it's important, you know, I always, especially for young guys, you know, I see so many young men that are, you know, I got to be tough. I got to be, you know, people got to see me as, you know, an, an important person, an influential person. That's a, no, you don't. Courtesy and politeness will take you a whole lot farther than this macho kind of crap that, you know, I got a barrel chest and I got to have muscles and all that stuff. 
you know what the biggest muscle you have the most important muscle you have is this one up here between your between your ears if you use that more than you use this i used to talk to recruits in the academy when i was a negotiator was we, we would train down at the academy and i always told them i said you know they're going to spend 6 months here teaching you how to use all these tools on your belt but the two most important tools you bring to this job are your brain and your mouth because I've seen people that based on what they said, turned no people into yes people, and conversely, turned yes people into no people. So if you can use your brain and you can use your mouth, there's a much greater likelihood that you won't have to use all these tools on your belt. And that's true in life. It's not necessarily just true in law enforcement. If you can think and you can articulate yourself, and you have courtesy and politeness, you will go very far in this world. Thank you for sharing that, because I feel like that's something a lot of people need to hear. And something that kind of relates to what you're talking about is I see a lot of guys, including myself, even at one point that were going to situations and you kind of have this, they kind of have this air about themselves where they think they have it all figured out. And they kind of carry themselves that way. But one thing I'll say about it that at least limit, limited me whenever I tried to take on that mindset is that whenever you look at it as if you have all the bases covered, that reduces your openness and it leads to you not being able to really utilize the, I guess, the abilities of the people around you or to be able to truly gain, I guess, the best solution to whatever situation it is that you're going into. When you feel like you have to do it all alone or you're that guy that, that has it all handled it leaves a lot of uh, opportunities for mistakes. And, you know, at the end of the day, if the goal is to reach the same goal, it should be to do it in the best way possible, not in the way that protects your ego, like a lot of guys kind of try and do. Yeah, there's a there's a book. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read it. it it's called uh, Legacy. And it's by a man by the name of Kerr. I can't, James or John Kerr. And it's about the All Blacks, which are is the New Zealand oh, the, uh, the rugby team. Yeah. yeah, the New Zealand rugby team. And and one of the things that when I read that book that I thought was interesting, and, and this is probably the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times. And when I read the book, the thing, the two two things that really kind of caught me were. The, they hire people, they bring people onto their team. Now, I would think they would bring on people who are technically good at rugby, but that's not necessarily the case for them. They hire for character. So they want you to have good character to be part of this team. And the other thing that I thought was interesting was the importance of humility. I, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. But collectively, if we come together as a team, we can figure it out. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, I need to be the man in the room. I need to have all the answers. Well, here's the most successful sports franchise of all time who's saying, no, we're going to hire people for character. Do you have good character? And we're going to realize that you don't have all the answers. And that's okay, because together, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I guess that, that pretty much explains it. Yeah. And you can see that it obviously works because you have people that you hire that are specialized in a certain area and they bring the expertise. You don't depend on one person or a few people to cover all the bases. You have specific people for specific issues within your organization and they specialize in those things because 
they look at it as a team effort. Right. And so that's, that's definitely, I think, the best way to go about it. But um, one more thing that I wanted to ask about, but I see we are running a little bit short on time, so I won't try and hold you up too much with it. But I think something else that we mentioned that we kind of touch on is something you called the three F's. Does that sound familiar? It does. Okay. Yeah. If you could touch on that a little bit. So the, the three F's kind of going in conjunction with the four truths and the three F's for me are basically faith, family, and friends. I, I have a, uh, I don't know if I, I've made it obvious in the podcast, but I have a very deep faith in God. And I, that certainly helps me to know that I'm coming to the end of my life. And, and, and that's okay, because I believe that there's something for me on the other side of that. I, I realize there are a lot of people out there that don't believe in that. And that's fine. I don't want to put my religion or, or my faith on you. But for me, I've gotten through these last nine years because a lot of my faith. And, and I've been asked the question, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? And I sort of joke and I said, you know, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning and looked at his to-do list and was like, you know, Terry Tucker cancer. I, I, don't, I don't think that happened at all. But I certainly feel that God has given me the strength to get through these nine years. And then again, my family, very important to me. Um, you know, I, I tell a quick story when I, I had my second niece or my second cancer surgery at MD Anderson, I was sent home and I had 40 staples in my groin going up from my thigh up through my groin into my lower abdomen. And I needed to get upstairs to, to, to the bedroom when I got home. And I was dumb enough not to take the pain medication that I was offered. And literally, I got to the landing on the first floor or the, the first landing, and I had to go up seven more steps. And I was just perspiring. My groin was on fire with these staples. And I just looked at my wife and daughter. I said, I, I can't. I, I, I got to sit down. I, 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 and my 15-year-old daughter said, absolutely not. I was six foot eight, 240 pounds. She's like, absolutely not. You sit down. We're never going to get you up. She literally grabbed me by the lapels. And my wife pushed from the back. And they pulled me and pushed me upstairs. And, and I got there. And, and what I always ask people is, who in your life? is pushing or pulling you towards your goals? Or maybe more importantly, who are you pushing or pulling to, to, toward their goals? You know, if it hadn't been for my family, I, I probably wouldn't have made it up those stairs. And then friends, obviously a very big part of, of my life. And when you go through something like I've, I've been through, you really find out who your friends are. And, and I always kind of tell people, don't sit on the sidelines and try to convince yourself you're playing in the game. So don't go to somebody who's going to have cancer surgery or, or maybe something's positive, like having a baby and be like, you know, hey, you need anything? Give me a call. Because we don't have time to figure out how you can help us. But the same things that you're going to have to do at your house, take out the garbage, do the grocery shop and take the dog for a walk, cut the grass. Those are all the things that I'm going to do, have to have done at my house. And I remember after my first surgery, I had a 93-year-old friend, and I did not have to spend time in the hospital after my first surgery. When I woke up, I was able to go home, and I get a call. I'm home for 10 minutes. His name is Bud. Bud was in World War II. He said, Terry, can I come over? I know you just got home. I only stay for a minute. It's like, sure, Bud, come on over. 15 minutes later, my 93-year-old friend is standing in our living room with a fully cooked chicken and a pan of cream, cream cheese Danish that he had bought at Costco. And he's like, here, you have dinner for tonight and you have breakfast for the morning. He didn't sit on the sidelines and try to convince himself he was playing in the game. 
he got involved. So get involved with people that you love and you care about that need your help. Don't sit on the sidelines and ask them to figure out what they, what you can do to help them. Oh, that's great. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I kind of had a similar realization yesterday. And so I don't know if you noticed, but I have a sling on. I just got surgery on my labrum. But uh, it, when one of my friends is coming to bring me some supplies because I my ice pack, I needed a new one. I thought about the time whenever he was injured, he had torn his ACL. And so he had been sidelined for some months. And I remember, you know, of course, everyone in our friend group knew that he was hurt. You know, everyone's telling him get well soon and everything. But I remember after that, everyone kind of just went on and was still living their own life. And it wasn't until I've been injured now. And just with the like the day that I've been moving around, not able to really do anything, can barely pull on a shirt. It has made me think, wow, I really kind of dropped the ball as a friend because all that time, whenever he couldn't walk, there was so much I probably could have volunteered to do to help him. And so it just really made me appreciate it that much more that even though I failed him as a friend and was really only thinking about what I had going on in my situation, uh, that he was able to, you know, think forward and think about what I might need and was willing to do what he could to help me. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. And that's definitely something that I've worked to improve on. And I hope that a lot of guys think about that as well. Yeah, well, uh, that pretty much wraps everything up. So we touched on everything that we had planned. And so as far as um, you and your book, where, where would the, uh, the listeners be able to go to find you? So you can find me. Uh, I have a, a blog that I put up a thought for the day every, every, every morning. And on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. It's a video or a, a story. I realize people are at a premium for time. So everything I put up is short. But if you need a quick hit of inspiration or motivation, my website is called Motivational Check. So motivationalcheck.com will get you. You can leave me a message. You can get access to my uh, social media accounts. You can actually get access to the book through that also. But you can get Sustainable Excellence through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple iBooks, anywhere online that you can get a book, you can get sustainable excellence as well. Okay, great. And I'll make sure to have all those links in the description as well. But um, other than that, thank you again for coming on to the show, Terry. I think you offered a lot of value to the listeners and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much for having me on. It's, it's people like you that allow people like me to come on and hopefully between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in somebody's life. So if that's the case, it's been a good day. Yeah, I'm sure we will. And thank you for that. All right. Thank then. you. Take care. You too.